The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Good afternoon. My name is Mike Miles, and I want to welcome you to the second uh, Friends in Recovery podcast from Studio 21, Salem, New Hampshire. And uh, I want to thank Mr. Jonathan for our first venture last week and being back here again today. It's been very helpful. My pleasure. Thank you very much. To my right is Ed Chaccio. Hi, everybody. And to Ed's right is Jeff Zizel. Hello. The three of us are uh, Friends in Recovery podcast. I also want to take this moment and thank Genesis House, which is in Palm Beach County, Florida, and um, very helpful, very helpful recovery facility. Um, you can reach Genesis House on their website, which is genesishouse.net, YouTube, um, iTunes, or Podbean. That's how you find uh, us. The podcast. Friends in Recovery, the podcast, yes. Okay. Yeah. And that's we, that's how you'll find us. But also Genesis House, very, very helpful. Um, they're sponsoring us, and I just want to give them a shout-out. All their staff has been very helpful as well. So take it away, Ed. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Um, I just want to you know, thank uh, Jonathan again and, and um, Studio 21 for... Uh, for supporting us and and um, you know I think we broke a little uh, some ba- barriers last week with everybody out there helping us uh, kind of push this through and um, um, have a lot of response and, and, and interest in recovery and maybe helping their loved ones in recovery um, thank you guys I appreciate it and uh, um, you know thank both of you guys for doing this this it just it's I was looking forward to doing it again and, and kind of thinking about it and how we how we can help a, a bunch of people out there so, so Mike and I had talked about getting together and we thought we we, we thought we lost Ed but right. apparently uh, Ed <laughs> did such it. a fabulous job last week <laughs> that he, he returned he's like a bad penny yeah. you know sometimes just re- shows up again well just to let you know it took a village to get me up here today two flat tires oh, yeah. um, a tow truck um, delayed flights uh, everything yeah. to get up here to be with you guys so. and you're in recovery also and so I that's a recovery. good thing yeah yeah and I practice my serenity <laughs> prayer all day long today I can tell you that so. certainly did he texted me about 40 times too. <laughs> so today we're gonna have a, a, um, a David and Karen David and his mother Karen David's in recovery um, they're both from Columbus Ohio and um, I think it's a, a good opportunity for anybody that's struggling with an addiction problem or a family member that has somebody that's struggling with an addiction problem to um, it's going to be very beneficial I think to hear from people that have been through the ringer and got, come out the other side and have a very successful life currently so I'm going to introduce um, they're on the, they're on um, so how are we doing this? They're on the phone. They're, they're on, on Skype. Skype. They're Skype. on Skype. Yeah, okay. they're, they're in the corner there. I think. You old right. people need to get with it with this technology. <laughs> yeah. Who are those people up there on the corner? Mike is using the telegram yeah, still. Yeah. <laughs> teletype, teletype. So David, Karen, take it away. How are you? Yeah, thank you so much for having us. You can hear us okay? Perfect. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. And, you know, we're just going to go through on the basis of talking about families in recovery. You know, we want to start off with um, sharing our story, you know, and, and knowing what we went through. We're, here, we're um, from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I was born and raised here. My family had two good parents in the household, my mom, my dad, um, been together 36 years. And it's, 
I was raised in a good home. You know, I had a good neighborhood. It, was the, it wasn't like I was in a bad area or anything like that. And uh, I, I saw early signs of addiction at an early stage. And I think my mother did too, of just how my tendencies were and everything like that. Um, whenever I loved something, I would go all in. And that was the, uh, definitely a kicker of you know me starting. But really my drug using stages started at age 12. And um, I was, I was bullied a lot for my looks, you know, my hair, my skin tone. I was really lanky. I was tall. I'm 6'5", and I was 6'5 in eighth grade. So it was just, I was just weird, awkward kid, and I wanted to fit in. So the three basic things of why I started using in the first place was, A, peer pressure, B, I wanted to fit in, and then bullying. So it, it, that's really what stemmed the reason of why I started to use in the first place. And that's where I found my first love, which was, um, you know, drugs. It, it was an escape for me, and I was a very good con artist to my family, and I had no idea about that. Because I didn't wake up one day saying, you know what, gosh, I can't wait to be an addict. That, that wasn't in the picture. I was a, you know, altar boy, Catholic boy, raising a good home, and just stuff started spiraling out of control. It started off as a weekend thing um, with my friends, hanging out after a football game or a basketball game, and you know, we didn't think anything of it. It was just like, okay, we're bored, let's, you know, let's get high. So that's, that's how it started, and it turns into an every other weekend, and then it turned into almost an every other day, and it progressed. My tolerance was building up and building up, but again, I didn't label myself as that addict. I just thought I could get off of it, and that's fine. So one day, I just didn't have the, the source of whatever drugs I was using at the time, um, and someone said, you know what, for the same price, I can get you cocaine. So that's how I dove into different drugs at the early stages of life. But really, what down to it, the biggest thing real quickly is that I hurt my back playing volleyball. And that's when it really took a toll on me because I went to my doctor and I got prescribed eight different medications at one time. My mother was right there seeing all these medications coming through. And that's when my life took a turn for the worst, for sure. David, uh, one thing you didn't mention, and, and this is something we talked about last week, a good family, you know, addicts don't have to come from the, you know, the, the, the poor part of town or the rich part of town or the other, but they can come from every part of town, a good solid family. I mean, I know I mentioned last week that I came at a rough upbringing. Um, I, I really didn't have two, I mean, you know, I wasn't in, you know, in, in the bad area of Cerville, New Jersey, where I grew up in. You know, I don't think there is a bad area of Cerville, New Jersey. Um, but, uh, you know, families, you know, you come from a good family. I, li I like that. I mean, your mom, I met your mom and, and I met uh, I met your whole family, David. And, and it doesn't seem like you would would ever have a drug problem. I met you in recovery. I didn't meet you, you know, when, when we were out there. And, um you know, so good families can also get this disease that we have okay. also. And I just have a quick question, David. Um, you said you progressed, and the progression of addiction is, is definitely one of the one of the telltale signs and, and definitely a condition. Uh, what was your drug of choice in the beginning at age 12? Was it marijuana or? Marijuana, cocaine, it was just tempt, you know, trying out different things. So that's really, I mean, alcohol was definitely in the picture there as well. Um, at that at young, that was really the only things that we could get our hands on. But then I started seeing a turn for the worst as soon as I got hurt and injured my back. So, you know, one of the interesting things is that the research tells us that the younger you are when you start using, the greater likelihood you will have a problem. So if you start using age 12, which is actually quite young, Statistically, you'll have more of a the sort of potential to develop a substance abuse disorder than when you pick up at 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. And we also know that most kids 
experiment. So it's not a, part of the developmental process of uh, adolescence is to actually take some risk. You know, the frontal lobes are, are still acting with impulsivity. So you end up doing sort of risky behavior. So you start experimenting. And in your case, David, what ended up happening is as many young people who develop addictive disorders, they get injured and then the doctor becomes their supplier of substances. Yeah, we see that all the time. Absolutely. And Karen, I just real quick, I was just wondering, when did you be, uh, first become aware of David's uh, drug use? I mean, that, that it was not, other than just to prescribe medication for pain. Yeah, for me, it wasn't that early. I didn't, I didn't know he started that that young. I really didn't. So he was really good at concealing it. He was very good at the, you know, dis disguising it. And that was one thing I, I think David's, you know. Uh, Playing the, the continuing that long, you know, he was able to do it. You know, it was in school. I would say probably in uh, middle school, maybe um, high school. Uh, started to see the signs because I know he was uh, bullied. Um, I know the, the kids would wait from at the bus stop and, and they would jump him. And these were things that you know we we had to. I had to keep an eye on him. And it was just those things where you know I knew what was going on and I knew you know he was frustrated with the you know uh, the. the kids thing and it was just a, a tough uh, situation so so what really happened was is that and in essence my father has a background of addiction in his family his, fa his father was an alcoholic brother died of you know of using drugs as well and so I stayed away from my father and I manipulated my mom so it was just me every addict has that one person that they go to to kind of you know be able to reach out, mom, I have bills that need to be paid. Can I get a check for this? And then all of a sudden the next day, I'm completely empty with money and stuff, you know, at that, that rate. So I stayed away from my dad and my mom was just so like, no, he's not that drug addict, you know, Mark, which is my or my, my dad's mm -hmm. name. So it just, it came from a, an aspect of, I knew I could manipulate her and a lot of addicts do that. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that, that that really was a, a key factor. I think ninth, 10th grade is when you really started to see a, a, a turn yeah. because yeah. of the pills that I was getting. I mean, I was just having so much of muscle relaxers, pain relievers, you name it, I was having it. And because I was getting from a doctor, I'm thinking, okay, it's legal, so I can, I can do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we, we as addicts, and, and David and, and uh, Mike, um, and Jeff, you know the, the kind of the, the clinical part of this, we, we, we know who to manipulate. Um, we know who we can go to and, and manipulate that one person. My dad was a person that I can manipulate really easy. I was out of the house by the time I was 17, so I really didn't, um, you know, I did live my own world, but yeah, you know, David, we, we, we go right to that person we can manipulate and, and take money from. And, you know, I knew where my dad ha had his stack of money from and, you know, it, it, it was very easy, easy, you know, as far as that goes. Um, where, where does dad stand now as far as everything goes? Because um, I know sometimes yeah. when I talk to families, moms are in board, they want to do everything, they want to help. Um, but dads usually say, you know what? I'm I'm done with you. You're you're you're. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. You know. And and yeah. just where does Dad stand now? With Mark stand now. So getting just get to that point. You know, when I started really showcasing signs of addiction to them, and I was manipulating my mother. My dad at the at that point in time was just like, look, either send him to jail or get him out of the house because I moved out yeah. when I was 18, and and everything of that. So okay, I stayed away from my father. Now my habit that that was at one time turned into just like a one-time thing is now a $200 a day habit because of my opioid addiction. The doctor took me off of all my medication. He saw that I was getting addicted. So now my body is wanting, you know, the release of, of, of the drugs. So I'm, you know, I'm going on the streets now. My dad is saying to my mom, he just asked for $400. Why are you now forking out even more money? 
And she said, you know, he's not, he, he, he's, he's stressed out, this, that, and the third. I was manipulating. My dad was just like, that's it. I, I can't do it anymore. So I'm a hundred and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm 210 pounds right now. I was 120 pounds wow. when I was at the, end of, at the end of my stages. Um, and one day my mom was like, look, we got to go to our family doctor. I stayed away from my doc, my family doctor. Cause I knew he would, he would know the signs. And during that time, six, seven years ago, people were all about the opioid epidemic. Everyone's talking about heroin right now, but it really stemmed from the opioid epidemic and, and what big pharma has to do in this industry. And all my friends were using pills. We go to schools now and we talk to these sixth and seventh graders and they are addicted to Adderall. I say, well, how do you guys study? We take Adderall, we share Adderall with our friends. So now they're already coming at a young age that if I have pain, if I have something that is wrong with my body, I can just be medicated and take care. Karen, I was gonna ask, when did you know that you know David wasn't being so truthful for you? Did did pieces start falling together for you? Yeah, I think we did. Uh, we started to see things, uh, you know, being stolen from the house as far as you know, uh, videos and jewelry, um, you know, things that like well, I thought I'd put it here, but it's gone, and I thought I had more money in my wallet, kind of a thing, and. You know, what happened to this check? So, you know, that's in the mail. <laughs> it, it was, yeah. So, uh, but I was putting it off. I wasn't, you know. And I was that addict. I would sit there and say, like, my mom would be like, have you seen this jewelry? I'd be like, no, I'll help you find it, even though I just stole it right. and pawned it. Yeah. So, so, like, that's just, that's the idea of what, you know. So, looking back, Kevin, I, do you have guilt? Do, do you feel like you were an enabler? Do you feel like you were blindsided? or? Yes. I'm, I'm sure like, you've dealt with it now, but I'm, I'm just saying back. Absolutely. Yes, I feel like I was definitely the enabler. I feel like I was very naive at the time. I, I had no idea. Like like Dave was saying, my husband, you know, grew up in a home, you know, as his father uh, was, was a former alcoholic and his, his, um, his brother died of an overdose. So he grew up in it and I had no clue. I didn't live around it at all. So I had no idea what it was about. I had, you know, no idea. So it was all a new thing to me. And I was very uh, supportive of my family. And it was, I was in denial, you know, not my kid, you know, that, no, you know, he's just having a bad day or he just, you know, <laughs> needs a lot of cash or, you know, hey, just help him out here. Yeah. So I would overlook things a lot. Well, I, I think, and I think Jeff would agree with me, and I'm sure Ed too, but especially Jeff, uh, you know, mothers usually are the ones that bring their children to, to therapy, to counseling, mm-hmm. trying to find the answers. And they have so much guilt. They, you know, because first of all, you're nurturing, especially in a teenage year. You know, when, when, when young adults, mostly male, uh, between the ages of 15, 17, you know, they're getting their independence. Um, mothers are losing their ability. Just in normal family, I'm not, not, not that you're not normal, but in families without addic- addiction problems. Right. But so mothers think they're losing their ability to, to, to nurture. And, and children, young adults are getting their, um, you know, their, their independence and their freedom. But I think there's so much... I hear it so many times when I sit with a, a mother and a son when they come in, and that's 90% of the people that come to me with a young adult with an addiction problem is usually the mother. Sometimes the father comes along, but usually it's the mother. Do you agree, Jeff? I, I do. In fact, when I was uh, young, my mother took me to a child psychologist. That kid never helped me at all. <laughs> Actually, uh, the, you know, I think there's a special relationship between uh, you know, a mother and their, ch- and their children, and I think... You don't, you don't want to believe what's in front of you, so it's easy to sort of dismiss it. Oh, he's just having a bad day. And I know David, and David's a beautiful person. And so, so it's easy to sort of go along with that. And then what, of course, happens is, you know, you have mom 
saying, oh, I don't think he's that bad. What are you talking about? Then you have dad sort of disagreeing. Now you have like this triangulation. Right. So mom and dad are at conflict mm-hmm. and, and the child, the, the young adult, you know, is often running with the substance abuse disorders. And, and now the issue is mom and dad aren't getting along. Correct. It's no longer about Correct. David's addiction. Now it's a whole family disease yeah. kicks right. in at that right. point. How it, do you counsel the mother to not feel guilty? Because uh, to me anyways, outside looking in, it doesn't look like it's her fault. This happened. This was a, a set of cards that she was dealt. So how do you counsel that mom to not feel those feelings of guilt? Well, I, I, that's actually a great question. I would actually ask Karen, what, what helped you not feel guilty, Karen, after this was going on? Uh, I think going to NA meetings. I think once I started to understand the uh, the process and, you know, going to Parkside, they had a, a you know, um, opportunities for us to learn about, you know, how we can help ourselves and understand, you know, about the, the you know, addiction. Yeah. Process of it, so it really helped me out a lot to, to understand it and to learn about. It. And I did a lot of a lot more research, so it really opened up a whole new, uh, you know, uh, gateway to uh, understanding that it wasn't me. It wasn't what we were doing. We weren't responsible. So I started to take that guilt off my shoulders and started turning it around, saying, you know, this is why. Now this is how I can help myself, so that I can help him. That's, you, I was just going to add that. You know, what really helps many families is knowing you're not alone. So people go to Al-Anon mm-hmm. or they go to uh, Naranon. a family, Naranon, family, or family, family programs yeah. where they realize, like, wait a second, that person spoke, that's my story. And therefore, you learn what has helped them. And then you get support from each other. Then you can actually set some limits and detach and then say to yourself, you know, I'm killing my son or daughter with kindness, so therefore I need to back off. And it's not about being angry. It's about setting clear boundaries. And we run a, uh, in my office, we run a family support group on Tuesday nights for parents of opiate users. And one of the things that we always say is that, you know, getting angry doesn't get you anywhere. Setting it, always tell your child you love them. You will always help them get treatment. You will help them get better, but you're not going to give them money to use. You're not going to enable them. You're going to set appropriate boundaries. If they need a ride to go to a meeting or a doctor's appointment or a therapist's appointment, so be it. Yeah. But you're not going to get manipulated. Now, um, oh, good. I'm sorry, Karen. One thing I always see when she mentioned that was, um, I think it's really important for parents to know this. I will not enable you with your addiction. I will enable you in your recovery. That is the key, and that, that's something you really have to, you know, focus on as a parent. Yeah. You know, I just can't do that. Yes, yeah, that's a great point. So we always say, let's facilitate recovery. Let's stop enabling. Yeah. Now, so. Karen, yeah. Karen, did 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 the Al-Anon and Aranon and family? Um, family programs help you kind of get there and, and kind of lay those boundaries down? I know you said you, you attended family groups. Um, you know, Al-Anon and, and all that is huge out there. Um, for years, it's been huge. I attended a few Al-Anon meetings myself. Did that help you? Is that is that a good avenue for a mom to, to stop this and, and, and keep, you know, keep your life going and let David do what he wanted to do? Yes. I don't know you if that's the to- best way to put it, but... <laughs> Absolutely, and I, I agree with you. Absolutely, that was the one thing that helped me to feel like it wasn't me. You know, I, I didn't feel that guilt. You know, that you know, I did something wrong because that's what I kept putting in my mind. You know, it must be something I did or I didn't do, or you know, putting the blame on yourself as a parent. But when you start going to these meetings and you and you associate yourself with other people with similar situations, you start putting the pieces of the puzzle together, saying, Ah, you know, this this sounds familiar, and wow, okay, this is how you handle that. This is what. You know, you're given some direction on on how to handle things, so it really puts things back into perspective, sure. and so you can start, you know, 
living a you know a wholesome life again. You know, and you can start you know being um, the the person that you are with you know being associated with. I am responsible for. I think it also helped my mom and dad's marriage too, uh, you know, because the, the addiction aspect was breaking the family apart. Sure. And then when my mom and dad started going to Al Anon and, and NA meetings, they were together, mm -hmm. coming back together, saying, okay, we need to make a team effort on this right. with David. So, um, you know, that's really how it, I, I saw it from the outside perspective. Yeah, and it really did help us uh, as a family unit. And like, like Dave was saying, you know, my husband and I, we had to put boundaries. We had to say, this is, you know, you're in our household. We don't have to have you here. And, and if you want to live here, this is what, you know, we require you to do. And it was just, you know, yeah. set, the, set the limits. And, and you know, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and it's very important for people to know, especially parents that are separated, divorced, because what happens a lot of times is usually the, the addicts living with usually mom and mom is divorced and she she gets a lot of flack it's her fault and also the addicts living with mom and that's his ally and we don't want to upset dad because he went off last time we talked about mm -hmm. this so let's not tell him about the check you stole out of my register mm -hmm. let's not tell him about the jewelry you pawned and you know it, it really the what you're speaking to is so important because the family dynamics addiction is just I, I hear addicts say I'm only hurting myself and mm -hmm. it's so untrue and it's it, it, the, the family can be in such turmoil and uh, Jeff does have a great um, a, a great group on Tuesday nights and I've actually sent people there and people I know and love and, and just people in general but I think it's so important yeah. um, and, and, and the simplest I just want to put this up the simplest um, most convenient accessible mm -hmm help you can get is is Al-Anon or um, what's, what's yeah. the other? Naranon. 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 Yeah, yeah Naranon. family group. Because, that. you know, it doesn't cost a dime. Yeah. You go in, you listen to other people's problems. And then there's another group, and I just want to speak to this real quick. It's the parents that have lost loved ones, young adults, to opioid overdose. And they, they, we have a group in Lowell. Um, a couple of women have started, and sadly, because of their, their loss. And those are the meetings you don't want to go to, you know. Those are the meetings you want to avoid. But, again, if, once you've lost a child, I cannot imagine the guilt, mm -hmm. the unnecessary guilt, the unwarranted guilt that some parents feel because their parents, these are the young, a lot of young adults dying, they feel responsible. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Agreed? So, absolutely. Circling back, Jeff, this might be a question for you, but it sounds like that... Um, Mom, uh, Karen, your recovery started before David's recovery started, and I, I'm wondering if that's true in in a lot of families that that the family's recovery starts first, and then it pushes the addict into treatment. Well, it, it is true. W once the family system learns that number one, it's an illness, and it's not about blaming people, it's not about blaming the person with the substance abuse disorder. You know, you don't blame someone who, ha who has cancer. You don't blame someone who has heart disease. So once you understand that it's an illness, then you can actually start doing the things that will facilitate recovery. And like what Karen had said, we're going to enable recovery. We're not going to enable the, uh, yeah. the disorder. Yeah. But we also know that when the parents become united and people understand that it's an illness, they also can forgive themselves because, you know, you can be the greatest parents in the world and have children who get the disorder. You could be, you know, quite frankly, very ineffective, irresponsible parents, and you have children who become superstars. Mm -hmm. So we, we don't always know, but, you know, there is a correlation. You know, effective parenting has to do with communication and love and caring and so on and setting healthy boundaries, good role modeling. One of the things that we do know is that families who have a dinner 
once a week with their children and parents, the likelihood of the children developing substance abuse disorders diminishes. So they're really, when, when I see families, I often ask, so do you folks eat dinner together? Mm. And remarkably, you find that many of them don't. Some kids watching TV, the dads elsewhere watching sports, et cetera. We also Gosh, know. There. Yeah, yeah, we're here. So, so we, we, we often see that, but I think, you know, David, when your parents got together and started realizing, like, hey, we got a problem here, all of a sudden, I think things probably changed a bit, and maybe that helped facilitate your recovery. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and when I got into recovery, I noticed that... Um, that the family did have to change. Well, they didn't have to change. And, and in my case, um, I, I noticed m- part of my family changed and part of my family didn't. And I kind of gravitated away from the people who didn't change and gravitated towards those who changed. Um, I, I didn't have a supportive um, uh, family as David. I, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I really did have a supportive family. Um, but um, it, it wasn't as, as, you know, kind of... Well, you're from New Jersey. Yeah, yeah from Jersey. So, yeah. But, <laughs> tough, but, you know, tough state. It was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's good to have that one member that can be there for you, but won't take your crap if, if you kind of want to manipulate them. Um, now, Karen, did, did that happen to you as far as your recovery start first before David's? To circle uh, back to the beginning? <laughs> yeah, it, it did. I think, you know, the, the fact that once we realized David was in full-blown addiction and he needed help, yeah, then we started researching and finding resources, you know, through the doctor, through, um, you know, the recovery center and just through people that we spoke to. I wish we had known about earlier. That's one thing I, I wish we had, you know, tapped into and, and maybe started, you know, researching it earlier. However, you know, timing is everything. And it, it, was, yeah, like, it, it isn't, you know. Well, you know, one of the things I was just going to comment, you know, one of the things we mentioned last week is that addiction is a disease of denial. So it's not just for the identified patient, as we would say, it's also for the family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. David, how old, how old were you when you started your recovery? How, how many years ago? So I'm going on seven years. So I was 21 turning 22. Well, it's a young uh, age. Yeah. And I mean, for someone to say that you can't, you know, you, you got to be sober for, you know, at, at age 21, you know, I was actually legal to do things like, you know, as far as that goes. But right. it was a different change for me. Um, when I went into treatment, I fought it. I didn't want to go, um, that was a definite. But my dad and my mom, and we were all out of options. You know, I was living in a town home. I was a manager at McDonald's. I thought that I knew the world, and that they didn't know anything. And I'm like, okay, look, I'm gonna do this for them. And that was my whole aspect of just kind of starting over. But I'll tell you what, an addict's worst fear is withdrawal. So that's the reason why people are gonna go out and, and continue to use because they don't want to feel sick whatsoever. Um, and once I started seeing friends of mine dying and they were getting closer and closer to actually our house, mm-hmm. it was it was at that point where I was like, okay, I think I need to get, I need to get help. And um, it was to like, you know, having a $200 a day habit was not something that I thought was, okay, how did I get to this point? How did that, how did that happen? My family was at like, my mom just had enough, my dad had enough. And so I was, I hit rock bottom. And when I went in, uh, to treatment, it completely changed my life. I was learning a program. I, I, I decided like, look, if I'm going to go into recovery, then I'm going to be all in. And what happened was, is because me and my dad were not close, my mom was the person I'd enable. So that's why when I first went to recover or to treatment, I didn't, I was fighting it. So my dad shows up one day 
for family visitations and I thought my mom would be there. Again, I would just use her as the manipulation and he comes alone. He's like, your mom's not coming today. Surprise. <laughs> Welcome to reality. That, that plan went out the window. <laughs> and how did that go? How did that yeah, go? Yeah, how'd that work out? Yeah. I was like, great. So my dad's here. We're no, we don't get along. We haven't been gotten along since I was 12 pretty much and he's sitting there. We're looking at each other and he's like, Dave, I'm going to tell you this. I lost my dad to this and I lost my brother to this. And I can't lose a son to this. And your mom's not going to be here today. He's like, I'm going to be here. And I'm going to tell you. And he stuck his hand on my chest. He pointed on my chest. He's like, you got to have to do this for yourself. You got to want to do this. He's like, and he, I could see the emotion coming out. Harley would see him cry. And then that time I was just like, all right, pops, you know, like, I'm all in. Like, you know, I, I'm all into recovery. I'll do this. It just completely changed. It was the right time, the right person. And it just it clicked. And uh, from that point on, I was all in. Great, great scenario. And I think a lot of people go into recovery for the family. Mm -hmm. They go in because yes. they've hit a jackpot, yeah. so to speak. Uh, yeah. They got arrested. They, they ran out of money. They, they got caught stealing. They got a court case. They go in for all the wrong reasons. They get into treatment. This is why treatment really doesn't, treatment centers don't have a great success rate, no matter how good they are. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important that when the addict is all in, or at least halfway in, willing to go you know the old saying bring the body the mind will follow mm -hmm. yeah. and and just real quick on, on the on the um, recovery part the fear of you know quitting drinking quitting doing other drugs uh, very difficult but you're right the op the opioid addiction is a different addiction and I think it's it's a physical emotional psychological you know um, the good news is there are medications out there that will help you. There is Vivitrol. There is uh, Suboxone. Naltrexone. Naltrexone. Yeah. These these are medications. These are these are drugs that will assist you to a point where you might not even realize that you know you you could be sick. That's how well they do work. It's just trying to seek them out and find the right doctor and, and such. I was going to just say... It's, it's Real quick, Jeff, I want you to give yep. the 800 number for everybody. Um, the 800 number to get hold of Mike or any of us on the show is 800-989-6504. That's, um, that, that'll, that'll ring directly to Mike, and, and that'll get you um, kind of connected to whatever you want. So that's 800-989-6504. We haven't gave, given that number out yet. I just want to... Go ahead, Jeff. Thank I'm you. Sorry. Thank you. That's an important number. So, David, you know, one of the interesting things is that you started your recovery at age 21, which is when young people start actually experimenting or using legally, as you had pointed out. So based upon the research from the uh, National Institute of Drug Abuse, they say that the average opiate user who's using drugs, it takes them nine to 10 years before they get off of it and multiple, multiple inpatient treatment facilities. So what's truly amazing is that at age 21, you achieve something that most people don't achieve for a decade. So, uh, which is quite, you know, quite fantastic. You know, and, and Mike made a point that said, you know, some people go to treatment for, the, for another reason. You know, I'm in trouble with the court. They still want to use. They have the love affair with the drug. They're not ready to part ways. But somewhere along the line, sometimes for certain people, things change. For you, it was the interaction with your dad, mm -hmm. who clearly, you know, as you were telling the story, I'm feeling like the emotion myself, a remarkable intervention. And what we do know is that people go inpatient, maybe on day one, they're not so enthusiastic. Sometimes around two or three weeks, 
things often will change for people. And then, you know, they, then they embrace it. So you became all in, and here we are, you know, uh, seven years yeah. later, doing great. Yeah. Yeah. I have a quick yeah. question, David. I'm just wondering, were you ever in, without getting too specific, were you ever in trouble with the law? Did you have to go on probation? Were you required to take your analysis weekly or monthly or biweekly? Did any yeah. of that ever happen to you? That was another thing. You know, I, I, I was one of the lucky ones where I was not caught up with the law. I know it was catching up to me. I will say that. You know, it was looking at me right in the face. So I, I, I knew that something had to click. So, uh, you know, fortunately, I, I was not involved with, you know, any law, you know, enforcement or actually getting, uh, you know, arrested or anything like that. Um, so that that was my, my difference in, right. in, in that scenario. But um, I was going to ask Dave, did you have any overdue library books? But but I just want to speak on that really quick because it's so important to know that as therapists, we can sit with an addict for an hour. We can sit with the parents, the family, do a group. And if they're not all in, obviously, it's you're talking. They're listening. They're not paying Mm -hmm. attention. The mind's somewhere else. And we understand that. However, I'm sorry. You go ahead, David. Go ahead. I was going to say that the main, like, I, I feel a big reason why people keep over, you know, relapsing is that they're, they go right back in their environment. Right. See, for me and my family, when we got out of treatment, I put together a family contract that basically said, okay, if I'm living under your roof, you're going to see all my transactions. I'm not going to have any cash on me. You're going to be linked to my bank accounts. Mm-hmm. You're going to, you're going to take the mileages on the car. You're going to see everything. And if I, if I slip up at all, then I know that I'm kicked out, you know? So it was just like, we put together a, I got a flip phone, right? As I, got out of I still have one, David. It's not that funny. Mike doesn't even know how to text. I deleted Facebook. I deleted Instagram. I, I, I deleted all the contacts and everything because Facebook is so important. If people are in treatment, they should the family should go in and delete Facebook. Yeah. It takes 30 days for Facebook to delete anyways, and a lot of connections are through Facebook. Absolutely. So that's a big thing of, okay, now I have to get out of my environment, so I'm not around the people, places, and things, and I can get a core group of people, my brothers or whatever, to you know back me up and keep me accountable. Um, and that's how I feel like a good success rate happens is getting the person out of their environment. And, and I couldn't agree more. And my point of this was, this disease is so cutting, so baffling, so insidious, so powerful mm-hmm. that you could be sober four, five, six months and things could be going wonderful, wonderfully. And then all of a sudden the urge comes and you have yep. no consequences. Mm-hmm. You think you might owe it to yourself to go out and, you know, tie one on, uh, get some pills or whatever. But when you're on probation, when you have to go see a probation officer once a week, you have to give your, your analysis you know, uh, whenever they want you to, you have consequences. And I find a lot of people will go along for a short time and then they just can't do it. Mm-hmm. They fall out. They end up getting arrested. They end up being incarcerated. And, you know, that I worked in law enforcement for a long time, 35 years as a cop, 14 months as a correctional officer. I work with the courts now with my private practice, as Jeff does. But... You know, the courts now, they're, they're, they're like therapists, these probation officers. They, they understand addiction. They understand that you're doing the things you, you're doing, not so much because you're a, a bad character or, a, you, you know, a criminal, although you're c- committing criminal acts, you're an addict, and, and you, 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 you're trying to keep it going. So they, I'm not saying they go easier on you, but I think they understand it more than they did, say, 10 years ago. Yeah. Do you, do you yeah, agree? That, it's so true. I mean, what we find now, fortunately, is that, you know, the judicial system is looking at this as an illness. So do we lock people up for being sick? 
it's not helpful. They don't really get better. Some people actually will get clean and incarcerated. However, what we're looking at is alternative sentencing now. Mm -hmm. So instead of uh, sending someone to, you know, to lock up, they'll send them to treatment, they'll get better, they have to follow their treatment plan. Just as you had the family contract, David, which was like, here are the rules of the house, you, uh, you know, divert, you know, some money, you do something you're not supposed to be doing, there's a consequence. So, you know, we all have to be accountable. And people who are more accountable in life usually achieve more success. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing, um, you know, David, and, and it sounds like you you were kind of one of the shining stars in recovery um, and, uh, you know, kind of got it and just kind of ran with it. Um, I know for me, I know I went into recovery for my family for the first year. And then I got a wake up call and I said, I got to do this for myself. Um, and, and I kind of I kind of just said, OK, I'm going to put my family aside. I'm going to work on me now. Anything we, we all know, if you put anything in front of your recovery, um, it's probably going to go away. You know what I mean? Family, money, car, whatever it is, that's going to go away. you got to take care of yourself first. I realized about it a year into my recovery. I'm just wondering, did you did you get that like right at the beginning? Or did or were you in there for mom and to please her and, and keep that contract, you know, so you don't have to, you know, live in the streets? Uh, you know, that's, you know, I... I, I, I know I'm not unique, but I don't know if I'm if you know if if, if that happened no, to you or not. The most beautiful thing I want to say this first off, I didn't get sober to live a boring life. I got sober to enjoy life and to actually Amen, brother. face life on that. So that's the reason why I like to talk to a lot of when I go to rehabs and I'm talking to people and, and the group sessions and stuff. I tell them that I say, look, you know, we want to ultimately live a good life. We want to have a, a great life with our families. We want to, you know, enjoy it. And what happened with me in rehab, after I got out the first three months, I'm burying 30 friends. So I'm, I'm wearing a suit, I'm going into funerals, left and right, she's coming with me. Um, and she's seeing this happen and I'm going, what is going on? That my whole, my, my town was being shooken up about from this opioid epidemic that like for me, it drove me to want to really help. You know, I could have chose a different career path or whatever, I just wanted to help you know, uh, recovering addicts and their families because we personally were touched by it. So I think that's what's, you know, really kept me on, you know, straight and narrow of like, you know, not only going with the family contract, but I'm seeing miracles happen in front of me. I love the first stages of recovery because that's when you're, you, you start having dreams again. You can start living again. You're seeing your body changes. You're seeing these wonderful steps taken into place that, you know, your higher power is going to bless you with mm -hmm. after you do take that initial step. Um, but for me, it was when I started seeing all these funerals, I'm going back and forth to these funerals. I, I knew we had to do something. And that's that's how loud life was started. What, what a refreshing so, yeah. what a refreshing uh, power of example. You oh, certainly uh, are we frozen. Um, I, I really believe that listening to David, uh, he talked about you know the recovery steps and such. Uh -oh. I feel. Oh, there they are. <laughs> I just feel. I just, <laughs> Keep going. I just have a real quick question as well. Um, when you talk about uh, steps, are you talking about just uh, personal steps, or are you into recovery where you, you adhere to the twelve steps of recovery? I'm not sure, David. Can I, hear I think us. we might have lost some. Okay, we might so have the, lost some. And again, the 12 steps of recovery are so important. You can find them. You can Google them. Um, you know, in, in early recovery, uh, steps one, two, and three are so important. The, you know, there, there are other steps too, but the, you progress as you go. But I, I, listening to David, you can tell the the gratitude he has, the attitude yeah. of gratitude, the uh, the gift of sobriety, which it is a gift that can be taken away any time. I just think it's very important, and, and you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And Jeff does as well. It's good having Jeff. Uh, Jeff's not recovering. No nor does he need to be, but Jeff certainly understands the, the recovery process. And, and, and I think the 12 steps of recovery um, 
you know, the old timers in AA, uh, you know, back in the day when I started going, there was still a lot of old timers. You know, they made it look so simple. Yeah. You know, they really did. But, but one thing they never varied from it was it was the literature, the mm -hmm. literature, the the, the uh, big book, the Twelve Steps of Recovery, and the, the Twelve Traditions. Which Mike, are Mike now we're the old timers in AA. Yeah, yes. you're the old timers. <laughs> we're, we're those dinosaurs. I'm the old timer. Well. I'm the old timer in anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, real quick, I want to give the number out again: eight hundred. 989-6504, and that's to get a hold of um, you know, any information that you, you have or any questions you have. It's 800-989-6504. We'd like to thank David and his mom, um, Karen, for being guests today on uh, Friends in Recovery our podcast. And... Um, we Mike do have them. Uh, we do have them back on the line. Oh, okay. Okay, well, let's just Welcome back. wrap it up and say, <laughs> say thank you to them. And... Um, Thanks for having Any us, guys. Great to see you. See you next week. Yep. Good job. Any last words, Mike? Well, I just want to say I really want to thank David and Karen. I, th I think it's awesome to have a son and his mother on, and, and um, you know, especially someone who's been successful at such a young age. And it really is difficult at 21 to say, well, this is it. A day at a time, I'm going to try to stay away from alcohol and drugs. And, and uh, it seems like his life's going pretty, pretty smooth. Absolutely. Before we close, Dave, can you just talk about your foundation? That you started. Yeah, yeah. Loud Life is uh, Loud stands for Live Out Your Dreams. Life is Living in Freedom Every Day. Our mission is to inspire and empower those affected by addiction. We've helped over 400 people get in sustain, sustained recovery, and uh, we talk at schools, businesses, um, churches, wherever about you know our story. About you know our mission is to say that we do recover. That's the main thing is that we want to show people that there is hope, and uh, you know we're just giving out resources that we know to help you know individuals get clean. And it's Don't a website. Up. I'm sorry. What's your website? Yeah. Loudlife.org, L-O-U-D-L-I-F-E.org. Great, great. One, um, one last thing from me. Um, I, I just want to tell the families that are help out there, David and, and Karen, or a success story. It can happen. So you folks, um, mom and dad, or mom, if you're watching this, um, there is help out there. You know, there, they, this is a success story. There are meetings out there for people who lost loved ones. You don't want to go to those meetings. You know, make that choice now to get your loved one some help. Um, and by calling that number, 800-989. 6504 or reaching out to, to anybody that you can um, you know again I'm, I'm big on the family component with everything and um, you know it, once the family gets involved that's when we're found out that's when us addicts um, have to start kind of manipulating different ways and and it gets too much and and we're, we we kind of kind of get our backs pushed against the wall and David and, and Karen like I said are a huge success story and uh, thanks for having thanks for coming on guys Jeff. Thank you, guys. Pleasure. So, so it's a pleasure to be with all of you, and it's always good to have people who show how it's done. Yep, and thank you to Genesis House and Studio 21 and uh, Mr. Jonathan. And remember, you can get, get us through the Genesis House website, genesishouse.net. You can watch this podcast also on iTunes and um, YouTube. And we'll see you next Tuesday afternoon, 4 o'clock. Friends of Recovery, Studio 21. Yeah. Thank you. Next week, we have Kevin Dixon on um, from KD Consultants and Interventions. Thanks, guys. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.